Hey folks, and tonight's episode is brought to you by YesPleaseVintage.com. If you're in the States and a fan of vintage and upcycled housewares and clothing, give YesPleaseVintage.com a check for clothing, jewelry, homeware, and some really awesome finds. So go check them out now at YesPleaseVintage.com. And currently, if you spend over $60, you get free shipping on all orders. Hello and welcome to the Asian Cinema Film Club. I'm your host as always, Edward Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, the professor, Mr. Stephen Palmer. Hello, everybody. You're listening to episode 86. On tonight's episode, we look at the only cat-free comedy, Love and a Puff. Why is it cat-free? Is it full of violence and nudity and innuendo? We will certainly find out as we cover it as our feature presentation tonight. But before we get on to that, it's time to ask what you've been watching. And Stephen, since the last episode, what has been holding your attention, if anything? Okay, well, a couple of things, a couple of movies sort of related to Asian. I will just sort of pricey. I have got a copy of Everything Everywhere All at Once, which I was hoping to talk about. Well, sadly, I fell asleep while watching it. No criticism of the film. I was just tired, so hopefully I'll talk about it next time. Um, <coughs> what I did watch, I was... Um, Desperate to make use of my Mubai, Mubai, Mubai um, uh, uh, subscription this month. So I watched a couple of films. One of them was a Cambodian movie. And um, I've, I haven't really seen that many Cambodian films. This is probably only the third one I've ever seen. Third or fourth one I've ever seen. I think we talked about... Did we talk about Cambodian movies with Rashmi the other week? Can't remember. Uh, anyway, called White Building. I guess it's... I don't think it'll appeal to you. It's in that kind of slow cinema... Um, feel um, sort of social documentary, but not documentary, sort of social realism kind of deal. It's not a documentary. It's a, it's a it, it's a drama, um, slow drama about basically about a young boy living in Pompeii. Um, him and his family live in what's known as the White Building, which was a real building which basically used to house sort of people that used to work for the government, but artsy types, you know, people that used to basically do paintings and sculptures and things for government buildings and that kind of stuff um it's long since gone but basically it's a story of this 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 boy and his family living there and how the, the government want to knock it down they want to give people money to to evict them is that the right word but but it's not you know the basically Pompeii, cambodia itself is gentrifying they won't be able to buy a place in, in the city anymore. They'll have to move out to the country again. Um, this boy lives, a, you know, fair, both, both at once aimless and dreaming of being some kind of dance star on Cambodia has got talent, but at the same time works a thousand different jobs, you know, for, for pennies. And the reality is what he sees as, as he grows up, that his parents aren't basically these superheroes and, and that they're incredibly fallible. And his dad's an idiot. His dad's got diabetes. His dad's toe basically dies during the film, and he ends up with his leg amputated. You know, he's, you know, and 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 the boy sort of sees that his dad's a moron. 
great it's kind it's i really enjoyed it but i think it's one for me more more than you but if you like these sort of social realism documentaries it's got a very it's very similar to a lot of thai movies that i've seen before but it's just nice to see it set somewhere else um rather than um some of our normal places that we talk about sorry i'm rambling here because i'm trying to find the other movie that i watched (laughs) which i can't remember Oh dear, what was it called? Uh, and I've even got a letterbox, but my letterbox is letting me down. Oh God, yes, right. This movie you will like. I don't know if you've seen it before. Have you seen Vampire Cleanup Department? No, I haven't, but it is on my uh, my list. I know it's okay. One that was recommended uh, along with Rigor Mortis by um, Kim over at uh, Movies and Yeah. Team. Now I wasn't a big fan of Rigor Mortis because I think it's a bit of a sort of a postmodern take. But basically, both films, as well as a, there's a Jim Wong shit film as well called Sifu versus Master, but they're they're all three films are kind of harking back to those sort of what they call I can't remember what they're called, but those hopping vampire movies, things like Mister Vampire, yeah, yeah, the traditional uh, Chinese vampire movies. Yeah, although they're more like Chinese zombies, but whatever. You know, we, we they they get called vampires. They do. Um, they're also in um, they're also in Black Tavern as well. There's a group right. of them just like randomly turn up, and unless you, someone points out to you, it's all like, oh, you got you know what? Um, as I said, from things like Mister Vampire, and I want to say Close Encounters of Spooky Kind as well, although that might be Ghost. Um, the Hopping Vampire is a regular. Accounts mainly in like 1970s sort of like Hong Kong cinema, they were really popular. Um, they were the mid, into like the early 80s. Abs- ab- absolutely, and um, maybe we should do Mister Vampire sometime. We should do uh, more Hopping Vampire movies. I think mm. we, we obviously have our Halloween episode coming up, so maybe I will have to put it in the vote, or we will do it as like an episode closer to Halloween. I don't know. We'll work it out. We will do. We may even choose this movie, so I'm not going to talk too much about it. But basically, Vampire Cleanup Department has been on my to watch list for a long time, and I was quite shocked, mate, to see it's five years old. <laughs> I thought it was like a couple of years old, but it's that no, 2017. It's really, it's really sort of twisted how time works for me. Basically, it's an homage to those movies, right? It's got a cast um, of sort of classic actors from those movies or from those times who uh, basically run the vampire cleanup department which basically is a secret local government organization of people who deal with vampire infestations um but when you know but they masquerade as street cleaners um what happens is um the grandson of character played by susan shaw who's in every fucking movie isn't she <laughs> movie. Eric, Eric Tsang's in it as well as a, as a, as a bit of a, a bookendy thing a bit like he was in um, Golden Chicken anyway it's played by um, sort of one of these young trendy young actor super star types baby John Choi um, he gets attacked by a vampire at the beginning of the film and it turns out he's immune to it so and then it turns out that his uncle and all sorts of people are involved in this vampire cleanup department and he basically becomes a trainee in it he meets a very special kind of vampire who's a sexy young lady although she's been bed dead for like 300 years um and basically forms a relationship with her meanwhile the guy that turned her into a vampire has also been resurrected and is going to take over the world um it's silly it's funny um it's way better than i thought it was going to be is it brilliant no um 
you know, has it got anything new to say about the genre? Not really. It's just it's just a hopping vampire film, but in modern and contemporary times. But yes, yeah, I I thought it was really good, and I'm a bit annoyed that I took so long to get round to it. Um, Rigor Mortis, the Juno Mac film, I I I need to rewatch that because I just wasn't blown away by it, and I just thought it was just. I didn't think it was very funny, but apparently it's meant to be funny as well. Mm-hmm. But I just thought it was very serious. But yeah, I'd really, I'd really recommend Vampire Cleanup Department. Um, so hopefully we'll, you'll get to see it, or we'll put it on the show sometime. So that was me. What about you? I just ask you, obviously, with your you on oh. the vampire trait, are these vampires affected by sunlight? Because it seems to be a new thing, modern vampire things that they're never without, affected by sunlight. Without the, without the, without the spoiling it too much, one of the vampires is absolutely affected by sunlight because that's how they beat him. But there appears to be, and the book sort of, the, the, the film sort of addresses this by saying there are lots of different types of vampires. There's basically a whole book that the guy has to learn. Right. So so every scenario you might want to imagine, there's a vampire for that. And again, I'm, I'm not even sure that the word vampire is in any, it's something like a, it's not like a Jiang Shui or something like that. It, it's, it's, yeah, it's 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 a kind of there is a westernization. The fact there's the biting going on, there's the fact there's yeah. the sunlight bit going on. Definitely is something seeping in from Western vampire world. But yes, yeah, some vampires are affected by sunlight. Some vampires aren't in this movie, but they do kind of address it. Okay, because I, I mean I'm I'm very sort of traditional when it comes to my my vampires hopping or non. Um, that's why I was like World of Darkness because it took into account things such as like. Um, that some vampires are superstitious, they're affected by the usual vampire traits, you know, crosses and uh, mm. running water and things. And uh, and the fact that if a character's like waving a, a cross in front of someone, if, unless they have true faith, it has no effect at all. Yeah, that's... That's what it's like. But now you see this uh, new show that's on Netflix and they've got vampires in daylight and it's like, well, why make them bloody vampires? <laughs> uh, I also found out that Elton John did an interview with a vampire musical on Broadway. Did he? He did. He ran for about six <laughs> six shows and then they axed it because he was described as bloody awful. Um, they, is it Anne Rice? She was the person that wrote all those books. It was, she? yes. The Vampire Chronicles, I want to say it is. I remember reading Interview the Vampire and the Vampire Lestat and just thinking, my life's too short. Um, and then. There was the film, wasn't there? Yes, she Tom Cruise she campaigned and against um, Tom Cruise being the sat, and yeah. then he came out and she she publicly apologised to him. <laughs> she was like, "No, you you were they were right all along." Was it Brad Pitt? Was he? He in was. It as yes, well? he was the yes. counter Antonio Banderas, and they had um, little Kirsten. Dunst. Yes, little Kirsten Dunst. Yeah, um, that was the highlight for me. That there's something, and I've seen it in other vampire stories, comics, and things. You know, that that thing that when you're turned, that's the age you're stuck at. I'm sure I've seen it in other things, but that was the first time I'd come across that idea. That was a really mm. powerful, like you know, they're growing up mentally but not physically. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, this is tragic. I liked how Buffy like tweaked certain things about like the law regarding siring. Um, who vampires would view as their sire, which is traditionally mm. the person who turns you into a vampire, but in Buffy world, Spike views Angel as his sire because he's the mentor character. As he refers to me, you are my Yoda, man. 
Yeah, the the song about uh, Kirsten Dunn's vampire character um, is probably one of the few highlights of that truly awful musical. But it is all available on YouTube, along with the Death Note musical as well. Oh, God. <laughs> There's a lot of obscure musicals on YouTube I'm finding out this week. A lot of musicals have failed. But, yes. Yeah, no, you're, I think you'd get a kick out of it. It's, it's not as funny as it could be, but it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's only like an hour and a half long. Mm. Um, and... You know, I, I wouldn't say no to a um, a sequel. And actually, um, it's quite nice because, you know, obviously with the uh, with the Chinese Communist Party or the Communist Party of China, whatever they're called, um, they don't allow films to be made about ghosts and monsters and things like that. So I'm not quite sure how this one got made, um, which is interesting. So maybe there's a softening there. I don't know. but uh, Or maybe it's just a it was never got a release in mainland and only got a release in hong kong and other international places but yeah cool cool what about you anyway what have you watched well it's talking about obviously theater productions as this week the theater production of my neighbor totoro um launched its um uk run and it's rather fitting because that's also what i watched this week because i'm continuing our studio ghibli uh, well, I trekked through the the filmography of Miyazaki over on uh, my other podcast, Movies and Tea. We're looking at uh, his filmography, and we're currently in production at the moment on that one. So uh, you can look forward to that in the near future. But we just covered My Neighbor Totoro, which I know you're a fan of, Stephen. It's one of my favourite ever films, and it's my youngest daughter's favourite film as well. Yep. How are you going to ruin it for all? Well, I mean, to- <laughs> I mean Totoro is the, the most popular anime character of all time, really. I mean, he's infiltrated pop culture in a way that no other anime character has, even turning up as one of the toys in Toy Story now. And mm. he's the mascot of Studio Ghibli. It's a film which you think that, wow, this is going to be this character is going to have so much impact on the plot, and he really doesn't. He turns up at random random parts like a Tyler Durden flash in Fight Club. That, but um, yeah, I mean, watching it now, I mean, I've seen it a couple of times, but that first time I watched My Neighbor Totoro, I was very disappointed. But it is a very whimsical movie, and it's got a real sort of innocence to it, because that's obviously what Murasaki set out to do. He wanted to create a film that there was no sort of fret at all, and it was sort of like a safe movie. Uh, for people and I mean this is a character as well that started off just as a, a sketch when he was working at another animation studio and originally he turned plans like turn it into a children's book and as they started getting offers to turn it into a film then he's brew he drew in the sisters characters which are inspired by his own life it's based on himself and his brother when his mother was in hospital suffering from spinal tuberculosis um, and the reason he made them girls is because he felt it was too painful to make them boys. So he made them girls. And the youngest sister represents him at the age he was. And the older sister, the age that that uh, he sort of left that area at. So, But no, it is a very, still a very charming film. Um, the original... Do you ever get told like the original plot for this film? No. Okay. Well, the original one was going to be like... It was going to be a lot darker and it was going to be set in ancient times. We had human tribes waging war against the Totoros. And it would end with the Totoros losing and their descendants ultimately settling in modern day Tokyo. And this is a plot that essentially became Pompoko. Yes. 
But uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's it is what it is. It's a charming little movie, and it features whimsical characters and a giant forest spirit that eats acorns. And it's got a cat bus. Yes, again, people love the cat <laughs> bus. Is, I love the cat bus, and at the uh, Ghibli um, uh, museum, I think there's one you can go and sit in. <laughs> Oh, I'd love to do that. Yeah, for me, I mean, I, I know what you mean. It is it is the slow cinema equivalent of anime. <laughs> Where basically um, not much happens. There is a little bit of threat, isn't there? She's got to get to the hospital in the end. Um, well, the sister runs away, yeah, so... Yeah, but it's not it's not like an all-action-y... Well, I mean, even when we watch sort of... You know, we watched Kiki, didn't we, a, a couple of... Um, episodes ago yes. at least at, in the, whilst it is at the very end at least there is a bit of minor threat and peril to put on the back of the dvd case at the end yeah i mean there's um, certainly a bit of i mean she's got other challenges that she has to overcome i mean she has to sort of discover what her magical ability is she's got to set up her, mm. her delivery service she's got to find a wooden cat they're, yeah. they're very minor things i mean she has to clean a house which obviously the sisters have to do in this one and this, they, they do. Well, there's those little dust mite characters, aren't yeah, there? Which, they're, uh, they're, they're cute. Would turn up again in Spirited Away, and the same way mm. that we obviously saw the female character trying to clean the galley and castle in the sky. So, yeah. as we know, Miyazaki loves to have girls cleaning things for whatever reason. <laughs> it's like it's like Tarantino and his bare women's feet, isn't it? It's clearly a, he lo- clearly a fetish. He loves a he loves a a skirt blustering up flying machines. Girls mm. cleaning things, um, and the environment; yeah. those are like his his favorite things. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's sort of kind of gentle story about young the young girls and their growing up and learning about mortality and and yeah, it's just it's just nice. And I think the fact that it is just nice and it is just gentle and it's just Totoro is so primal. Mm. And the little Totoros as well are just so primarily gorgeous. They're so simple. You know, they're just a big oval of fur <laughs> with rabbit ears. I just think they talk to people. But I, I get it. It To me, it's it's one of my favourite films. But I think that's because it was a film I could share with my youngest daughter. Yeah, we literally one day went off to Oxford to see a showing of it in the cinema because it was on. And I saw her yesterday. She's 20 now. <laughs> picked her up from university and she's still got her Totoro pillow so it's still important to her so I guess I guess there's an element of that but I, I think it's just it's just whimsy and charming um but I, I I get why I get why you you're mystified at its popularity uh I am I know that the voice <laughs> of Megatron also does voice work in it does he what in the in the dub? Frank Welker um who Frank Welker is another of those voice artists that uh, you don't realise the depth of his work until you start looking at his filmography. Is he not Skeletor as well? I will bring up his filmography for you now. Maybe, maybe he is. Frank Welker is the voice of the cat bus. Is he? Yep. Oh, fantastic. But this is a man who is also Fred in Scooby-Doo. Um, he's Megatron and um, he's the cassette. He's Soundwave. In um, yes. beat me, beat me to it. In, tra- in Transformers, <laughs> but let's face it, the best Transformer is always going to be Astro Train. Never gets his gym. 
He's the one who's just a fucking train. He's right? a train and a spaceship. That's right. Yes, I don't think he is the best. Are the and the there's the one I can't remember his name now. He's a helicopter and a car. He's dark green. He's I in Transformers movie. But I will find gotcha. out for next week. But good. That's something to look forward to. Much like the fact that the Man with Iron Fist two has been added to Netflix this week, the Reza fan film. That took us all by surprise with just how wonderfully bonkers and insane it was. I reviewed both those films for Eastern Kicks. Yeah. And they both struck me as, well, he's a fan of the genre. He is unquestionably a fan. <laughs> if you, in case all those Wu-Tang records didn't give it away. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, they're, they're, they're fine. Yeah. I just, that's as far as I'll okay. go with it. Mamorine Fist is a delight. It's a great companion piece to Kill Bill, um, as with Risa as the blacksmith who becomes the title of Man with Iron Fist. Man with Iron Fist too, he might as well not be in it. He has he has so little to the plot. He's like Indiana Jones in Raiders of the Lost Ark. The outcome is going to be the same regardless. But uh, yeah, I, I it's been so long since I've seen oh, okay. them. There is there is a bunch of films we really somehow need to talk about in a all Western version of Asian films <laughs> we can talk about. We can talk about Kill Bill Part One, the Man with the Iron Fist films, the Man of uh, what's the what was the Keanu Reeves one, Man of Tai Chi. Oh, yeah, Man of Tai Chi. Which that which actually has um. What's her name in it, isn't it? Um can't remember her name. Michelle Yeoh? No, well, I don't know if she is in it, but she might be. Um, no, no, the lady from... Uh, the God of Cookery. And, okay. And she was in Fallen Angels, and I can't remember her name. Anyway, it's yeah, she, it's got legitimate... But yeah, I just think there is a... I think it was another film we were talking about the other day where... Yeah, we we should do a maybe we should do one of those, not a month, but a little sideshow which talks about <laughs> Western version of Asian films. There's the other Keanu Reeves one, wasn't there? The 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 some however many Ronin. Oh, forty seven Ronin. Yeah, which again is a very Westernized version like of that, that story. Not many people did. No, well, people are <laughs> picky, aren't they? Um. <laughs> But no, Man with the Iron Fist 2 is directed by Raul René, who's no stranger to a sequel, having given us the likes of Death Race 2 and Scorpion King 3 and Hard Target 2, 12 Rounds 2, The Marine 2 and <laughs> Condemned 2. He's a man who loves the sequel. And he's also the guy who gets things done when you've got very little budget. Um, this film, as I said, this film, he might as well not be in it because he contributes so little to the plot, but... Basically, uh, Thaddeus, our man with the iron fist, washes uh, up on, in this village, which um, is being ruled by a evil dictator-style figure um, who is bullying the the local miners to mine iron f- silver for him. Uh, with uh, the local miner Lu King um, trying to start sort of an uprising, but all the bits of uh, with Risa in are pointless. The film actually has some good action beats, but it's so tedious that this is not even worth bothering with. Even if you're sort of curious, I mean, I was so ho- there's the as I said, the fight bits are good, and you can tell the people who are, who can do martial arts because the shot is such 
one full wide shots, and then you see the Rizzo who shot very close up because uh, they didn't really have a lot of faith in him. But uh, Dustin Nygun is very good in this one, and we also have um, cool favorite uh, Kari Hiroyuki Tagawa who played uh, Shang Shang Tsung in um, Mortal Kombat. Um, turns up in this one which is exciting and there's also a really cool exploding head moment as well as the use of uh, love for gold from the good the bad the ugly which uh, is used to great effect here during the big climatic fight scene but yeah there's about I don't know about eight minutes of good action in this and a lot of tedium between that so I was just having a look um, at my review which I did back in 2015 mm. <laughs> and the um my opening my opening statement unnecessary remake of the flawed but enjoyable original this time even the obvious genre love cannot save the rizzer's vanity project a windstorm of flying elephant shit which i assume was a reference to something that happened in the film because <laughs> i don't believe i don't norm i'm not normally that angry in my reviews but one and a half out of five. Oh, you rated it higher <laughs> than i did <laughs> oh no no wait i rated it higher than you did i gave it two and a half i was, must have been really generous i only gave the first film two stars wow <laughs> but i think i was being a bit hard did, on it how did you not find like the first one so enjoyable we had russell crowe um had a you know we had uh dave batista you had um the yin yang twins was it so oh, the Gemini twins, the uh, who turn up randomly as a cameo in this one, the the brother sister duo with their swords that interlock. I don't know. You can go and read my review, but I said things really like Russell. The film. I said the film is held together by Russell Crowe, who manages to channel the spirit of Oliver Reed. <laughs> <He doesn't, laughs> I'm not sure how he stumbled into that movie. Oh dear. Um, and apart from the all too short appearance of Grace Huang, every Asian female in the film is a prostitute. <laughs> it's true, they are a prostitute, are they? but then again, it was the same as in uh, Mikkei's imprint. They had a whole village yeah. of prostitutes. Indeed. No, I think. Um, yeah, I think I just was a bit disappointed by it. Yeah. But it was one of the first reviews I wrote. Yeah. Oh no, I found it's being hollow and un- unforgivably dull. So yeah, maybe I need to go and relook at it. It was nine years ago. Yeah, but it doesn't, again, it doesn't really surprise me when you consider this is the same director that with Death Race 2 featured very little death racing. So it's not surprising that he missed the point with the film we were supposed to be making, as in A Man with Iron Fists, not Minus Rebellion, with cameo appearance <laughs> by a Man with Iron Fists. Yeah, I don't know. Um, the Ooh. soundtrack's very cool, though. Yes. I like there is a soundtrack on Ghost Dog, Where the Samurai, as well. The, mm. Is it Jim Jarmusch's yes, film? Yes, it is. With Forrest Whitaker. Oh, it's a game that could fit into that other little collection. You just work in a, like, like um, Western movies which borrow liberally from Eastern films. Yeah, I mean, that's... I, 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 Again, another film I want to go and look at again. What do they, what do they yes. call that? White Ghost Cinema or something? Uh, Guelo Cinema, I, suppose, I assume. Yeah. 
which they've ripped off from me, the bastards. Oh, yeah. invented <laughs> <laughs> um, the term. Final thing I want to bring up is the fact that um, there's a vanilla disc of Battle Royale floating around. And more shamefully, this um, that basically has been done to look like the Hunger Games. I saw <laughs> this, you, where you posted this. Yeah. I, they won't let you comment. Whenever this ever appears, you, if you comment on it, it will disappear. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the writer of the Hunger Games, mm-hmm. what's her name, Stephanie? No, is it Stephanie something? Stephanie Mayer. It's not, oh, no, she was Twilight, wasn't she? She's Twilight, yeah. I can't remember who, the, the lady that wrote the Hunger Games. But she magically got the idea without ever hearing of Battle Royale, which predates it. And to be <laughs> fair to the author of Battle Royale, he said, fair enough, these things happen. Which I think is... Well, that's a very nice position to have, but it's obviously fucking bullshit. And producing a new version is it? Is it a new release of Battle Royale, or is it just somebody? It's from what from what I can tell, this is like the vanilla disc because obviously Arrow put out the nice big white box Mm. set, and this seems to be like the vanilla disc, which which is worse still. It seems to be attached to them because it's on their store, and Mm. yeah, it's basically the Battle Royale logo. But it's in the same fiery font as Hunger Games. <clears throat> it is. It's got the same sort of background that was used in all the Hunger <coughs> Games sort of marketing but, materials. You know, it's very clear. I, what I it's... could let that go. Were it not for the little tagline at the bottom that says the original cult classic, the critics are comparing with the Hunger Games. Which, oh. which jackass is comparing Hunger Game Battle Royale to the Hunger Games? It's like yes. that's, I want to know. It's sort of like where's the critic that like says this? It's like you know when you see like them and it's like some awful movie and you've got some guy who's sort of like like horror returns home or some <laughs> some like real painful quote. Mm. Um, who the hell came up with that quote? Much less who signed off on this? Well, somebody wanting to sell more copies. Although, does the Hunger Games have any resonance? And isn't that isn't that something that just died off? I thought it. I thought it had gone away, but apparently, someone is keeping it going. Be it film four, <laughs> someone is. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, yeah. I I thought. I, I, obviously, the Hunger Games as a movie was kind of important, although it's like young adult shit. And it's a rip-off of Battle Royale and blah, blah, blah. You know, it did turn Jennifer Lawrence into a woman leading in action films, which we thought was going to be the beginning of something in the West anyway. Obviously, we're used to it in the East happening all the time. But it didn't... Just nothing came of it. <laughs> it didn't, didn't make any of Charlize Theron's movies... That she tried to do. She's still, she's still plugging away at it. I have to give her that. Mm. Um. Yeah, but it, it. Yeah, they were massive. My kids love those films and those books. Yeah, perhaps if it wasn't and, like so many scenes of her trying on dresses or deciding which of the two pretty boys that she's gonna, she's yeah, going to uh, hook up with. <clears throat> nature of those young adult novels, unfortunately. But it's you know there was an interesting world that was built there. Um, it was until you read the second book and you realise, wait a minute, this is just the first book again. Oh well, you want to read the later ones? I had to read them all to my kids yeah, out loud. I had to read them. Same as that. 
same as the Harry Potter felt books, right? I've read every word of all the Harry Potter books, and now that it appears that J.K. Rowling is becoming persona non grata, I feel I can let it all go now. <laughs> God, I hated those books. They're dreadful and they're dreadfully written. Anyway, I'm going to stop slagging off um, famous authors who have made millions of pounds on their writing whilst quoting my own web page mm. that probably only 10 people ever looked at. Yeah. <laughs> on that uh, controversial note, it's time to find the projector for tonight's feature presentation Love in a Puff. Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theatre, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, and especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you that smoke anyway, it gives ushers jobs, and if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. We're looking at 2010's Hong Kong romantic comedy Love in a Puff, directed by Pang Ho Chung and starring Sean Yu and Miriam Young. Uh, the film, as we mentioned already, is a cat free film, so no doubt it's got all you uh, cat free fans super excited for the fact we're covering a cat free film, even though the only reason it makes the cat free list is because it features smoking. Um, and when I say smoking, I mean, this is the sort of like dedication to smoking that is normally reserved for indie American films such as like <laughs> Blue in the Face or Smoke or Thank You for Smoking um, or Coffee and Cigarettes. It's, yeah, I was going to say Coffee and Cigarettes. It's yeah. Um, yeah. features um, the film basically resolves around um, Hong Kong enforcing a smoking ban, which means that all indoor smoking old smoking areas indoor are removed um creating little smoking boxes um where workers from the nearby area all congregate around the same bins and end up forming from their own little communities uh, that they call the hot pot pack um and it's in this group that uh, jimmy He's an advertising executive, meets and befriends Cherie, who's a cosmetic sales girl, um, with the two forming a bond over smoking. Stephen, this is one of your favourite films, and you voted it very highly on our top 150 Asian cinema, uh, which is why I kind of pushed when we were like, you're looking for something to bring to the show, why I kind of gives you a nudge towards covering it, because I've never mm. seen it. It's on Netflix, so for once it's uh, something easy to get hold of um, but I was very interested to obviously for a film you've rated so highly to actually check out for myself what? and <laughs> it's it's unique as I said it's uh, <laughs> this is as I said this is a film which I was I posted over on one of our film discussion groups Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema and I'm hoping that someone would like have some opinion on it and all I got was that's a great film so 
Thanks, guys. And that wasn't me. It wasn't. So, <clears throat> so yeah. So, I am a huge fan of the director, period. But you can say um, you're a huge fan of smoking, then. Well, well, we'll get to that okay. in a minute. Um, so, I, I've loved pretty much every film he's, he, he's done. And for me, this is a classic Edmund Pang film. Pang Ho Chung, however we're going to call it. Let's call him Edmund, because I can remember that. It's one of the few Hong Kong directors I can remember. And also, he's a, he's a guy that's making, on the whole, movies in Hong Kong. Um, <clears throat> but his movies are... And he's, 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 a, he's one of these people that can write, and he can direct films, and he can write books, and tell you know just everything. And he's got this. He's got a group of actors also that that sort of work in his films. The reason I love loving the buff. No, this is loving yeah. a puff, isn't it? Right. Let's get actually. Well, let's stop. Right. The, this is. I, do, I have no idea why it's called loving the puff. Right. The actual name of it in Chinese, I think, is Jimmy and Cherry. Right. The sequel, loving the buff, is called Cherry and Jimmy. And the third film in the series, Love Off the Cough, is called Cherry Saves Jimmy. I have no idea where they've decided with this fucking pun <laughs> to keep on going. Anyway, Cherry and Jimmy would have been fine. Anyway, doesn't matter. Um, it's also Cat 3, not just for the smoking, but it is also Cat 3 because of the outrageous swearing that goes on. But unfortunately, as neither of us speak Cantonese, I don't think even the, any subtitle that I've seen, and I'm not sure what it's like on Netflix, I ended up just watching my DVD of it, the, the it just doesn't really capture the imaginative swearing that's going on. Um, but Cantonese has this, this tradition of these clever use of homophones and things like that, um, and also when they mix it in with English. And if you go to like any of the markets in Hong Kong, you'll be able to buy all kinds of tap printed with ridiculous swear words that make under eights giggle <laughs> that's that's the kind of thing the reason i like it, it's just i just think it's just like really great performances and also it's just a really smart way of getting characters together so elwood are you or have you ever been a smoker i failed miserably as a smoker i struggled to get through a pack a week um so smoking <laughs> for myself i like keep like jewelry something to pick up and put down um so yeah my I mean, but then again, it's it it's probably the the outlaw nature of smoking, um, mm. and something to keep my hands busy. I mean, as I've mentioned before, back in like in writing classes, I learned how to roll cigarettes. I wasn't smoking particularly then, but it was just something to do with your hands. And I, I think it's as I said, it's the always the the outlaw nature of smoking. Um, it kind of appeals, but yeah, you know, it, it, it pisses people off, like using a cell phone mm. in a restaurant. But yeah, I, I, as I said, just me and smoking just never took off. I, um, yeah. So um, yeah, I didn't get to, to, to be one of that, the cool kids. That's not a bad thing. So I, I didn't smoke as a, as a, as a young person. Um, <laughs> Wake but, up for it now. <laughs> uh, well, um, I in the, the the day job I'm a, I I work in IT, and back in the day I worked on like an IT help desk, which is. Well, was back then, 
a very stressful job because as you can imagine no one ever phones up to say thank you <laughs> they only ever phone up that something's wrong and it's your fault and you've got to fix it and all that kind of stuff oh yeah i work for the cable company i know exactly what it's yeah. like <laughs> and so what happens is you will find a lot of people who work on it helpers and this was back in the 90s early noughts um smoking becomes a thing you do to give you an excuse to get away from the fucking telephone so you go out well when i first started work you could smoke at your desk that's how old i am (laughs) (laughs) that then moved to the smoking room and that's basically where you do but then we had you know we had our own indoor smoking ban in the uk and you end up going either to a some kind of little hut they'll build for you or like a bus shelter kind of deal or just somewhere away from the building um and it is a really interesting place where all sorts of people from all levels of the company or companies if you're on an estate do stand together and over whilst killing themselves and making themselves stink and giving themselves bad breath there is this level of social interaction that you just don't get in the office environment. And this film sort of has always reminded me of those... The world's a very different place now, but back back then, that, that smoking heart, that, that, that sense that you could be speaking to the CEO and the cleaner and two people that work with you really rang true to me. Um... Also, having been to Hong Kong, I really can't believe there is a smoking ban there at all because I've never not seen Chinese people smoke like Chinese culturally. It's just not quite where I... These days, you know, in, in England, you know, you can't smoke in pubs. You, you, It's quite hard. I mean, I've moved on to vaping away from smoking cigarettes. Well, potentially. You're sitting there like but, the bloody... But, wise caterpillar in Alice in Wonderland pretty much pretty much but smoking as a as a cultural phenomenon as a as a as a social phenomenon has disappeared yeah it's weird but as Love and the Puff sort of talks about that I also like the idea of these two people and their duplicity towards each other the fact that they they're both as bad as each other they're both not telling the truth they both really care about each other um but then neither of them are really win- I mean Jimmy's terrible but Sherry's pretty freaking bad herself yeah. <laughs> um I like it that there's literally somebody who's not Chinese in the film so one of the characters is is of Pakistani origin which is how many times have you seen that in a in a in an Asian film that's not some kind of horrible racist tropey thing um yeah, um, yeah. Well, I suppose Chunking Mansions actually. Yeah, that that you you're right. There is, I've just I've just proved myself wrong, but um, yeah, I I just like it's, it. Just feels really slice of lifey. That there's a really weird sort of thing that there appears to be a documentary going on at the same time, which don't really sure what that's about. <laughs> and it's got all sort of um, Edmund Pang sort of things where he likes to tell these sort of stories in other genres so the film opens for example and you think it's like a horror movie yes and and but it turns out it's just a story someone's telling although it does play to later that's a classic edmund pang um opening segment but yeah have i really explained why i like it yeah i liked it because it, it talked to me of this um the sort of smoking camaraderie which 
I'm not particularly mournful for, but it certainly existed. Yeah, it's certainly a unique plot to say, to say the least. Um, and I mean, this is this is something that you know, Pang Ho Chung has been sort of identified as being part of his style is the fact that he can find such like Kafkaesque situations in like the mundane. And as I said, this is a film just predominantly about smoking and it's not just about smoking it's people love smoking there's not like that there's no like repercussions from smoking it's just like they love smoking and all the many of the major issues in the film revolve around smoking um the fact that Shri herself says that she never started smoking and only took up smoking to as a way to form a connection with jimmy and we obviously well it's, it's not it's it's not jimmy it's another oh, it's guy, another when she guy was young, sorry yeah that's right so so when she was a younger girl she really wanted to get with this guy and he smoked and he taught her how to smoke and she thought it was cool and then he went off with somebody else <laughs> but, but yeah but every social event they have right they go to karaoke they go to have hot pot they go to uh, they're either smoking there or they make an excuse to go outside and have a smoke. Yeah, we even see those policemen, don't we, that are having a sneaky fag <laughs> outside. <laughs> and sorry, American audience, fag is, is what we call a cigarette here in the UK. <laughs> Just if you think what I've said is even more weird than uh, than going out and having a smoke. So so everyone, see, everyone in this film bonds over smoking, and you're right. No one seems to have a terrible cough, apart from, obviously, Sherry's got asthma. Yeah. And it's not really very good for her at all. But, you know, we don't, there's no stories of somebody here. There's none of the, this person dies of lung cancer or even the reverse. You know, we're saying, well, my granddad smoked for 70 years. Died, got run over by a bus. <laughs> there's, there's, <laughs> there's no comeuppance, really, to, to no. smoking it. And I think this is why I say it puts it in that unique category of those films we mentioned at the start, such as, like, you know, Blue in the Face and Smoke. These people who just love smoking. Um, I think it's Jim Jamoosh who does like a real interesting monologue in um, Blue in the Face about his love of cigarettes. And with this, again, with this this film, it's sort of like these people, you have a whole scene at the end where they're going to be increasing the tax on cigarettes. So they have this mad like dash of the city trying to find all their brands of cigarettes, um, which is... Again, it's sort of like the only film I can think of where where you would have that as like your big crisis point at the end. But and that and that crisis, so 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 sort so of maybe drawing back a bit. So Jimmy and Cherry have met at this smoking hot. What did you call it? Hot pot pack. Yes, That's because right. it's um, yeah. It it's like a it's like a hot pot dinner. I mean, they even have dinner at the bin. Which they have, uh, yeah. have one some guy who like works for like um, the Hong Kong the Deliveroo pizza. or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like he works for a, he, he's a pizza driver, isn't he? But he says, "Oh yeah, I've got, have these hot wings. I'll just pretend we lost them." <laughs> <laughs> the fact that he's never been is as well. Is just... but there's so the the thing like the, there's there's this sort of lovely thing. So basically, at the beginning, Sherry's part of this gang, and the two of the people there work for this advertising company and they tell this story of their of their friend Jimmy who we're later going to meet who basically finds out his girlfriend's been cheating on him when he sees a pube a European person's pubic hair 
<laughs> that is just an Edmund Pang story, yeah. So we meet Jimmy. He's basically been cuckolded by their the, the French man that they work for. You know, the account, the advertising account they work for. And him and Sherry, so Sherry knows this story, but kind of feels sorry for him. And then they kind of hit it off. And there's also a bit of a, you know, they make this big deal that she's older than him. Although it's only like not that much older than him. Although in the real world, she is quite a bit older than him. Um, She's out of as well, as she pointed out. That that's true, and she's also seeing this guy, but she's in this fruitless relationship, and she's kind of you know these are these are quite deep questions. Jimmy's a man child, right? Jimmy loves to, <laughs> although I'm a man child as well. I'd love to get dry ice and stick it down the toilet. Now I know what it does. <laughs> oh it's yeah, like having a shit in heaven. <laughs> it's um yeah because we th- this is the other aspect of it where you have these rich like Richard Linklater cutaways so it's like it's almost like you're watching slacker in a way because you have these cutaways where you have characters as you mentioned already that they provide an interview segments for what we never find out there's no big reveal that it's all like part of uh part of a bigger project or something like you they don't even seem to be in the same universe sometimes as the the film sort of the things that happen in those in those talky bits don't always seem to quite match with the characters they're talking about but they're just funny vignettes aren't they on the whole <laughs> sorry i'm just thinking about the guy and his girlfriend's dog <laughs> she won't sleep with him but he has to wang the dog off i don't remember that bit don't you remember that oh i wonder then i wonder how it's described yeah so there's this guy um one of the guys that worked the advertising agency basically says he's been moaning that his girlfriend's basically moved herself in and that he appears to have to look after a stupid dog right (laughs) but he cuts the dog because you know what hong kong's like everyone lives up in tiny little apartments on giant buildings. you can't really Dog can't really go and sort itself out, and yeah, he has to masturbate the dog. <laughs> and then at the end, they go down, and it's a little chihuahua. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just it's just full of stuff like that, which clearly you missed. Or oh, I wonder if Netflix decided to clean up what they were talking about. I have no idea, but certainly with the certainly with this one, it said. A really gentle comedy. It's not like a. It, it's again. I'm just do just keep drawing <coughs> comparisons to like Western directors. I mean, it's like you're watching like um, Sofia Coppola's Lost in Translation. It's this slice of life relationship between these two yeah. characters, it, and the fact it's not. Well, I'm going to say it is laugh out loud funny to me, but um, it's not knockabout comedy. No, it's not absurdist comedy. It's uh, like you say, it's a slice of life stuff. But it is shining the light on some hilarious stories. But they're kind of tied together with this. This kind of will they, won't they? And there's quite a scent. There's quite a lot of drama in there. Um, and then, of course, there's the "I miss you," which is very cute as well. Which is what Jimmy sends to her, but he sends it to her in an upside-down text in numbers, and she completely misses it. Well, I mean, this is this is the whole the whole thing with the front of the film. We're not sure whether he actually likes her as much as she likes him. She's in this 
part and she's in this relationship she's been in for about seven years and as she says it's so um it's so difficult starting over again so she sort of like resigned herself to be in this rut in this uh relationship that's going nowhere um whereas she could obviously she has this wonderful connection with jimmy she goes on these little uh little sort of adventures with him including uh one where they get uh caught smoking in an area they're not supposed to and they pretend to be uh japanese well, <laughs> come on. She's in fancy dress as Madonna in full blonde ambition, conical bra. <laughs> the policeman comes out, doesn't they can't smoke? Jimmy pretends he's Japanese. And Sherry says something in Korean. And he goes, Oh, yeah, yeah, she's Korean. <laughs> so, yeah, it's absurdist, but, but also kind of realistic. This is after they've talked a bit about. This woman, Cherry, thinks these people on the street are selling stickers to people. Oh, yeah. They, they... <laughs> but they're actually they're actually lookouts for policemen, <laughs> for the drug dealers and the illegal DVD sellers. And he says, just look at it. There's no one's ever going to buy a sticker off them. <laughs> Especially not at midnight. <laughs> but then again, they have that random family who turn up. They're just wandering the streets for whatever reason. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Um, which really even more sort of confusing. Um, yeah, so so as you pick at it, it gets more and more ridiculous. But there's this core of will they, won't they? Right? Is Jimmy a ma- Is Jimmy grown up enough to to have a relationship with? And 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 as you say, people get stuck in a rut, don't they? And Sherry's in that rut, and it's, just, it's so much fucking hassle to restart from scratch. Is Jimmy worth it? And they're going to milk this for another two movies. <laughs> well, this is. Uh... This is the thing. It would be followed up. It's followed up by two two more uh, films. It's it's uh, loving, loving the. Sorry, it's... So there's love in the yeah. buff, which is um, which is a, it's where basically the mainland money comes in, and most of the films set in Beijing. So Jimmy goes off to work in. They they they've split up. Jimmy goes to work in 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 Beijing. Um, with his advertising company and has, starts having an affair with them. Um, I think it's with Mimi Yang. Well, not really an affair. He just has a relationship with her. And then Sherry en- ends up in there as well. And she's, having, she's with some other bloke. And obviously they meet up again and rekindle their romance. And then there's Love Off the Cuff. Yeah. I think what's the third one's called? Or Jimmy, Sherry shows, Saves Jimmy, which I think is a better answer. Which is it's kind of the end of the trilogy. So it's a whole before sunrise kind it of is. thing. It is. It's that Richard Linklater yeah. thing that keeps coming yeah, back to it. It is very it's very it's very much that. Um in which they it, it's seven years later, something like that, they're at this point where the relationship's got stale. What do you do to to put the magic back and there's even more funny stuff with dogs in it, frankly. And it's, it's they're very they're very similar. Sean Yu and Miriam Young have a great chemistry in all three of them. Um, but I think I think this is the best for me. I, I I didn't really like the middle one as much, but the third one's a, it's a good laugh. Um, but they 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 stop smoking. By the way, there's no more smoking after this. Well, no, the there's uh, the tight, I'm glad that they stuck with that then because obviously they they use it as such a defining point of the relationship at the end of the film so oh gosh yes yeah and as you say you know they spend that they get after after their romantic crisis they get together because they're driving around 
they go they start off in Hong Kong they go to Kowloon and off to the new territories to um to go and try and find all their favorite brands of cigarettes um but the car breaks down which is the which is the crisis point where they actually finally get to talk to each other because there's no one else around um doesn't stop Sherry having about 15 cigarettes during that conversation <laughs> <laughs> she, she smokes a lot. <laughs> um, it's also interesting the fact that they don't they don't try to do anything like artistic or cool with the the smoking aspect. It's just that they just smoke a lot. Uh, no one does any tricks. No one does anything. There's no smoke rings, are there? No, there's, there's no, no um... seductiveness with with the with the the cigarette. So um, Aaron Eckhart's character in Thank You for Smoking would be seriously disappointed because. In that film, he pitches that whole movie based around smoking in space. Yeah, no. In this in this world, in, in Jimmy and Cherry's world, smoking is just a thing they're addicted to, and it impacts who their social circle is, and they're addicted to it. And they both, I think, they both talk about giving up during time. No, and and Jimmy does do stuff with smoke. It's just that he. He uses dry ice and pours it down the toilet. <laughs> it's so wide, though. <laughs> and then, like his ex-girlfriend says, she t- she talks, doesn't she? And in that, oh, in that she's cutaway. so cool, though. I love his ex-girlfriend <laughs> so much. She's sort of like the same reason I love like Kim and Scott Pilgrim. She's got such a cool look to her. Uh, with yeah, she, she does. She have glasses. Yeah. I don't think so. Oh, so there's t- so the ex-girlfriend. The one I'm talking about is the one that with the pubic hair. She talks about. Jimmy just always gets ice cream and gets extra dry ice. The one that I think you might be talking about is the is the is the girlfriend of his colleague, who's who wears like a she's a bit pixie dream girl and she has got glasses and, um, she wears like a knitted hat yeah. or something, doesn't yeah, she? Yeah. Or a beret? Yeah, that's um I know who that is. That is um oh come on, where's the it doesn't matter. She's she's quite a famous actress, but yeah, she's she's too cool for school, isn't she? And she's the one. <laughs> yeah, don't tell the story about about the about Jimmy's ex girlfriend. Oh no, you haven't told him all of it yet. Come on. <laughs> I think that's Charmaine Fong. I think that's who that is. Patty, the um, yeah, his mate's um, I think it's Vincent Cock is this mate who's um, that they, they, they seem to be a couple, but they talk about each other in the cutaways as well, don't they? They're not a very happy couple. <laughs> but um, Pang, I mean, he's certainly his career has got some really interesting highlights. I mean, his first book that he wrote, Full Time Killer, was turned into a really awesome movie by Johnny Toe. Yep. Um, released in 2001. He also directed Dream Home the same year he did this film. He did. So, yes. So, um,. Yeah, he wrote the novel of Full Time Killer. Um, then he sort of, yeah, he's he's he he did um, a couple of. So there's a film called Beyond Our Ken, which I'm certain I've put into our top whatever films. Which he actually got a performance out of um, the twin who isn't Charlene. Um, can't remember her name, but but that, that predicted the future of her career. Um, Isabella's another great one. Trivial Matters is a another one maybe we should talk about which is uh, is, is lots of little um, vignettes unconnected some of them are gross out some of them are just hilarious there's one that 
story in there basically every day in china seems to be a festival <laughs> that's that's this little comic skits um dream home absolutely did he actually direct dream home yep. he directed I think um, he, yeah he directed wrote it he wrote it with uh derek tusang that's right and produced by josie ho um uh, obviously, the Love and the Buff films. Um, Vulgaria. You, you've seen Vulgaria. I have right? seen Vulgaria. Yeah, yeah, which is sort of a, a sex comedy, a comedic look. Yeah, uh, he also did. A, he also wrote the wrote the SDU sex duties units, which is shite, and Women Who Flirt, which I think he did. I want to say. Yeah, I didn't like that very much. Aberdeen, though, is really good, much more mature. And I saw very recently Misbehaviour I talked about on this show, which I think is freaking brilliant. Um, so, yeah, he's um, he's a writer first and foremost, which is why his films are... Um, actually, I'm just thinking you'd get a kick out of the opening of Aberdeen, which, if I remember rightly, pretends to be a uh, uh, a giant monster movie. Oh, nice. Clearly, 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 it's just a story of a bunch of, a bunch of people, a family in Hong Kong in the Aberdeen area of Hong Kong. Um yeah, no, I just I just think he's just a really interesting <coughs> and unique voice. Not everything he does come off. You know, I do think SDU Sex Duties Unit is just shite. It's just not funny. And I do think um some of his other stuff is you know, Aberdeen was maybe a bit boring, <laughs> but but he's got classics in there. Like I say, I think this one, I think Dream Home um, and Beyond Our Ken are as good a film as I've seen ever. Your mileage may vary. Yeah, I mean, it's on Netflix at the moment as of the uh, time of recording, so if you get a chance, definitely do check it out on there. It's certainly an interesting curiosity of a film and certainly probably the only romantic comedy I can think of which involves smoking, uh, where... Cigarettes are as much a object of affection as the person they're trying to hook up with. Indeed. I don't think they're particularly fetishised, but I know what you mean. It's just every other word is all like, smoking, 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 I'm going to go buy cigarettes. <laughs> did, you get, did you get the urge to go out and buy no, it? No. That's, that's good. The thing is, that, that's, in, that's important. It's um, more, more time and place that, um, that I like to pretend I can smoke. Um, but yeah, it as I say, it's never took off for myself. So, which you would think, you know, think considering the amount of European cinema I watch, that smoking would be like second nature. You would have thought so. You sort of call it rum. Yeah, smoke. Yeah, even like a Fellini movie. <laughs> you I think I found. I think I found a website the other day that counts the number of times in every film how many cigarettes are lit. Oh my and god! It's like. And yeah, you'll be surprised, and then you'll be very surprised that one day it all stopped. <laughs> yeah, it didn't. <laughs> Overnight, no one smoked. Well, in I remember anymore. when they were announcing in the UK that they were going to have the anti-smoking bill, and all these people like saying, "No, it never happened." <laughs> you take away people's civil liberties, and it did happen, and in return, it just killed the pub trade. <laughs> so, great move. It- it really did. It really did. I mean, I always thought it was sort of one of these European Union rules. And don't worry, I'm not a fucking freaky Brexiteer or anything. But I always thought it would never happen because the French would never stop smoking in restaurants. Just, you know, but I'd been wrong before because I'd also said the French would never have a currency that wasn't called the franc. 
So my my belief in the obstinate nature of French race or the French people yeah. has been proved wrong twice. Now. <laughs> I also I was in um back in just before the turn of the millennium. I was in New York and they'd they'd been the first place to introduce smoking bans, and I smoked like a chimney then. Me and my me and my ex and we we hunted for a restaurant and we found one in the Soho area of of New York. This little Mexican restaurant. When I say restaurant, I mean clearly someone's living room. <laughs> like two tables and this old grandma who must have been about two thousand years old. And they saw that we smoked. We smoked roll ups. And they saw that we smoked. The first thing in the street, um, some man had dressed, gone up to us and said, "Are you guys crazy?" And we thought, help, because he was wearing off. You know, like those kind of loud suits only Americans wear. Yeah. And he going, "Are you guys crazy?" And what he thought was that we were smoking marijuana in the street because we were smoking roll ups. I said, "No, no, no, it's okay." Anyway, we found this restaurant, and they looked at us and said, "Look." And he put a rest. He put an ashtray on our table in this little two seater restaurant and said, "You can smoke if you want, but if we see the police, you've got to stop straight away." <laughs> It took a while, took a while for it to take effect. But here, you're right, it it really killed pubs. Yeah, and now we just got a bunch of pompous asses who go on about how all the world problems are because they banned smoking, which means that they're not getting the tax (laughs) from cigarettes. Yeah, all that money they had was going to funding hospitals to care for all you people. Yeah, well, unfortunately, the price of cigarettes went up to such a ridiculous price. You didn't need to do a smoking ban in public places. It was becoming untenably financially just not right. But I guess that's because people were stopping smoking. Yeah, I assume it's st- I assume it's still a thing. I just don't. You just don't see many. They're people all smoking vaping cigarettes now, anymore. aren't they? And... Yeah, vaping for the win. <sighs> Which is just doesn't mean I don't have doesn't mean I don't have nicotine in it, mate. It just, again, it appeals to me even even less. There's just something very uncool about vaping, and I think I think? think it's the crowd that go that, that vape. I think there, oh, there's I no like uh, barfly. You don't see barflies vaping. It's, there's like you think of all the great smokers like Thompson and Bowowski. No, and stuff. vaping's not like that. Vaping is like smoking a pipe. I think I think in right? the world if Obama had not gone into power causing Thompson to kill himself I think vaping probably would have done him <laughs> in as well. Yeah but va- vaping is somewhat akin to smoking a pipe rather than a cigarette in that you've got to, uh, other than these people who buy these cheap little throwaway things but if you're a serious vapor and you've got a mod kit and all that shit You've got to make sure you've got charged up batteries. You've got to make sure everything's clean. You've got to change the filter. It's, it's like I used to have a friend. He used to smoke a pipe. <laughs> and, and, and I swear he spent more time scraping and scratching and trying to light it than he ever did getting anything into his lungs. And vaping can be a bit like that. Yeah, but if you smoke anyway, a that... pipe, then you 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 look intelligent, and that you should have like a leather jacket with tweed patches. Not when you're 25. He was 25 and he smoked a pipe. <laughs> you shouldn't be allowed to touch a pipe until your mid 50s. <laughs> until you've got you've got deep sessed ideas about the world. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You gotta you gotta be able to look. Well, this whole, you know, like where people have grown beards all of a sudden, that's become trendy when it didn't used to be. You, you know, a pipe, you just have a beard because you have to hide the staining on your teeth and everything like that. And, and <laughs> No, it's just so you can and, disguise and, yourself as a gnome. 
<laughs> and you and you need to and you need to, yeah you're right you need to have you need to have a level of experience so you can dispense wisdom while scraping old tobacco out of your old wooden season pipe <laughs> knowing that one day that pipe is going to break and you're going to have to start again and it might take you a decade to get that pipe tasting the way you wanted <laughs> he always used to say cigarette smoking is the worst then cigar then pipe smoke they're all bad for you but of course if you smoked a pipe you just didn't ever get around to actually fucking smoking oh, it's, it's, it's cigars <laughs> uh, it's a different it's a different style of smoking um, it's just well it's the same as pipe you don't suck it into your lungs in the same way it's a very you just say although um i was watching uh, uh comedians getting coffee yeah um which i i i love that and they had bill bear and they went to a um, a cigar bar, and they were saying about um, Bill Bear was like saying about how uh, Castro was like in the UN or something, and they were like telling him to put his cigar out, and they got down to like to the um, the wrapper, and he like took uh, his sunglasses and he like put put them in the end and made like a little smoking roach out of it, just carried on puffing away. He loved his cigars that much. It is illegal Cuban cigars. I. They're legal and, and, now. And really under- Obama, aren't they? Are they legal again? Are they? You can. Uh, there's there's certain laws and how you import them and stuff. I've got. I've got to admit, I've, the cigar is the thing I don't understand because I think they taste disgusting. But it's the sort it of thing. What, you, what sort of cigars are you smoking? If you my my, got, my dad used to smoke those slim cigarettes. Yeah, those are not. <laughs> you gotta have like the. You gotta go to like a. a a club which is they serve you um, scotch out of the humid out of the yes, humid. Yes, you can have a humidor. Yeah. You can have a scotch and a leather chair, and you sit around and discuss about industry. In your in your with with, with like a, a sort of a morning coat on. Yeah, you're going to be around gentlemen who use the word bully. <laughs> it's like I just the only time it ever happens. It's either two things, two times it ever happens. One is when you have a child or something yeah someone presses a cigar into your hand as if that's going to fix the next 20 years <laughs> so, of your life so you have people put cigars out on you what do you think this is like down in the bronx yeah. or something <laughs> no that 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 happened and also like when i used to go when i used to go like when i was younger and you'd go away on a work trip or something like that and there'd be like a you'd go away like a gang of you would just go to visit a customer and it would be in another town so you'd be staying in a hotel every night and i'd be i was young and everyone else was like old but they were from a different generation and so you'd all go to the pub with everybody then then all the lightweights disappear and you're left what you're left with is a couple of young people and a couple of really old people right and really old people say oh should we have cigars then and and so the because pubs always used to have cigars i don't know if they still do I'd probably, probably not, not smoke there no but do you know what i mean they used to there always used to be like a little sort of perspex thing where there was a, there was a handful of cigars and you'd sit down and, and you'd like you say you'd have a whiskey or a brandy by the fire with these people that you wouldn't normally hang around with and they get the cigars out and it's fucking disgusting because <laughs> if you don't know how to smoke a cigar it's not something you just pick up naturally <laughs> it's just disgusting it's the uh, it's, but, it's in hell and exhale and in hell at the same time it's it is you mustn't let it get down to your lungs but somehow you've got to let it waft around your mouth and you're just thinking, and and they and a cigarette, you can smoke a cigarette in about ninety seconds. A cigar is going to last you. All it is it's, it's, again. It's why you 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 have your scotch with it. You've got to have a a long drink, as my grandfather used to 
mm. to call Scotch drinking. But I just remember. But this, I don't even know if these things exist anymore. Obviously, I'm now. I am the old guy. Yeah. Right, that's taking the young. But I don't think I'd ever even consider saying, "Hey, hey, kids, who are probably only about eighteen or nineteen years old, and this is your first job ever." Come and spend the evening with me while I regale you with stories, <laughs> and I and I shove burnt leaves down your throat. <laughs> uh, I know <coughs> scout camp used to smoke tea bags, like the little rebel kids. Um, that was the that was their thing. <laughs> Which so was that? Is that any good? I never, I did, never did smoke tea bags, but oh. yeah, I used to see them. They used to used to make their little rollies out of tea bags, and I think they tried to smoke cup of soup or something. I remember at one camp. I think that will set light, actually. A cup it's of just, just anything that they stuff. can like create smoke with. Mm. Really. Yeah. Right. Well, this has been an interesting episode. This, is, this was a <laughs> smoker chat. Um, it puts us in the same category as like kissing contest to it. One of the episodes they did cigarette chat. They, they got a bunch of cigarettes from like Thailand or somewhere. Uh, and they was they were doing reviews on cigarettes, and I think. My dick in one of the fat, well, the zines used to do cigarette chat as well. Uh, I have many more stories of places they used to make cigarettes, but we're not going to keep on. But I, <laughs> if you want, <laughs> if you want us to talk again, we'll find another film. <laughs> if this is popular, we'll find another film. We'll Stephen will tell his smoking stories. <laughs> oh dear! I tell you what, what are we watching next time? <laughs> next time we are also going to another of your favourite films. Which I just found Ooh. a copy of, and um, it's one that I kind of had on my list, but uh, certainly the fact you rated this one so highly as well, um, along with the fact that I saw the opening of this, and there's a, a shot in this which just made me laugh more than I think a lot of things I've seen this week. Go on then. So I was just waiting for you to finish your smoking over there. So sorry, I've got the pipe. I'll just scrape it out. Uh, we're going to look at the 2004 teen comedy Swing Girls <gasps> yeah um, in which a group of inept high school girls form a big band according to Wikipedia uh, that's pretty much what happens very much one of my favourite films I've got the my DVD is signed by the director yeah um, Fantastic. So, yeah, that is what we're going to be looking at on our next episode. Um, so, we'll be. So, I just saw it in his filmography at One Piece, and I was like, what? The, the pirate anime? <laughs> um, but no, we are going to be. Uh, as I said, we're next episode, we're going to be looking at Swing Girls. But uh, in the meantime, if you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to be listening to us. Check out our sponsor, yespleasevintage.com uh, for a host of great vintage items. And certainly if you're in the Baltimore area, keep an eye out because uh, Lindsay has been hitting all the sort of craft fairs and the vintage market. So uh, if you see her, go and say hi to her and uh, say the guys from Asian Cinema Film Club, say hello. And then see what reaction it gets you. Um, who? <laughs> um, 
you can also check out our full archive episodes on our blog, which is asensibafilmclub.wordpress.com. Uh, on there as well, you can support the show. You can check out our themed months on there. We've got the the Film Vault with David Brooke. We've got the Dark Celebration Cinema. There's a host of great stuff on there, uh, including our Chatter by Chatter Breakdown of Battle Royale. Um, you can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Come say hi to us there. And, uh, you know, leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the show, as it all helps raise the uh, profile of the show as well. But uh, thank you again for listening. Thanks to my co-host, Stephen. Uh, pleasure as ever. And we will be back next time to talk about Swing Girls. And until then, good night. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.